Take your Bibles uh, this, this morning, and I'd like you to go to the book of John, John chapter 4. As we turn to John chapter 4, I am on purpose speaking a, a different message um, for you this second service. Um, someone told me that you guys are a lot smarter than the first service, and so I figured I'll jump into this. Right. I'm teasing, don't tell them that, that was a joke. <clears throat> but I think about John chapter 4, and my my heart races to this whole idea of reaching people with the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and as true believers, we have the answer. It's like we have the antidote. And uh, there are people all around us dying and going to hell. Yep. And for me, on, uh, in my life, God got a hold of my life actually as, as a kid. I came to Christ uh, as a child, and I, I think it was a genuine conversion I know that by the, by, as I was kind of growing up a little bit more, I grew up in South Carolina. Uh, I had a lot of serious struggles in my, my early uh, junior high, high school years uh, to the point where the Lord just did a, a great work of brokenness in my heart at 17. I tell people if I wasn't saved when I was, when I was younger, I definitely was saved when I was 17 um, because it was just a, a, just a full commitment of submitting to the Lord and God began to do a work in my life. I never would have thought uh, I would have been a preacher uh, and honestly, uh, if you knew me back then, you would not have thought that either, okay? Um, and it's interesting how God, um, he doesn't always call the most equipped people, but he will always equip the people he calls. And so the truth is we make ourselves available and we see what God does through the process and just to watch God's direction of changing desires. You delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart and as you place him first and he's your greatest desire, you'll start seeing desires shift and you'll see how God moves and directs your path as you seek him first and put him first. It's amazing what God does. When I think about this passage of scripture in John 4, I'm gonna kind of walk you through and it's gonna be a very unusual style of message. If you're, if you're looking for three points in a poem or something like that or some, some real kind of specialized uh, homiletical message, it's gonna be a little different on purpose. But I wanna walk through this passage with us and then really highlight some areas that I think that you're gonna see God will really use to highlight in our own hearts and our lives. As we look at this passage, I wanna take you to John chapter four, and I want you to look in verse three. Now, you know this story. If you've at all been around church, you've heard the story of the woman at the well. And so often the focus is just there at her, and we do need to see this because maybe you're not familiar with the story and so as we look at this closely, we see that Jesus, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee in verse three. And he had, he had to pass through Samaria. And I would stop for just a second and say, well, actually, no, he didn't. I mean, in this sense, I mean, so often the Jewish people would avoid Samaria like the plague. They would, they would honestly, they would go to the point where they would cross the Jordan River twice, much more difficult, um, but they would avoid Samaria, or maybe they'd go the, the coastal route longer again, but actually here it tells you that this is the plan of God. Jesus is following the plan of God, and he needed to go through Samaria. Verse five, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as his journey, as was his, with the, from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, the sixth hour Jewish time, do you know what time that would be? That would be right around noon, okay, if it's Jewish time. And, uh, and there, are, there are really good 
expositors of scripture who, who debate over this. You know, was it noon or was it, was it Greek time, six in the evening? And I'm gonna give you a little hint. Okay, here, <clears throat> ready? It doesn't really matter, okay? Just so you know, okay? But it, but it is interesting to know uh, that there it is. I kind of tend to say noon. I've changed my mind to this multiple times through study at times, but I just, you know, I kind of go back to noon. So here it is around noon, which is amazing to think about the journey that he would have made. That would have been some 15 to 20 miles, actually on foot. That would be the normal way of traveling. And so 15 to 20 miles, and he's made his way. It's noon. He is thirsty. He is hungry. They all are. Jesus is fully human. He's, he's, he's holy human and holy, fully God, but he is human. So when you look at this, here he is in verse seven, it says, a, a woman of some, from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink, which, which he's just asking her for a drink of water. And then it tells you verse eight, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now I want you to kind of place that in your mind. They went to go get food. Verse nine, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. <clears throat> and many of you know, this, know the reason why. They were never supposed to intermarry with the pagans, but the truth is, is some of them did and began another race that we would call the Samaritan race. It was a mixed race, actually. Um, they were called sometimes derogatory half-breeds. They weren't fully Jewish. And how could you ever be blessed of God if you're, if you're not fully Jewish? In that sense, that would be the kind of the Jewish mentality and, and yet you can imagine if feeling that sense that you can't change the way you're born, how awful that would be. And there was, there was just antagonism both ways. But she's shocked. I Me, mean, he's a Jew. And he's talking to her. Now, not just a Jew, he's a Jewish rabbi. And he would have been dressed that way too. So the truth is, is I mean, she would have connected right away. He, how is it you, this Jew, asked a drink of me? I'm a woman of Samaria. The Jews don't have any dealings with the Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. Ma'am, if you only knew who I was, you would be asking me for living water. Now again, she, she does not get it, okay? And, and the woman, she then said to him, well, sir, you have nothing to draw uh, water with and, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? I mean, where's your bucket? Where's your jar? Okay, I mean, and then she gets even, goes even further in this. She says, are you greater than our father Jacob? I mean, he gave us the well and drank from it himself as it is, as it is that his sons and his livestock. I mean, are you gonna dig us a new well? I mean, I mean everything about this is just sarcasm, and in one sense, you're like, are you, you are being sarcastic with Jesus. Like, okay, like this is creator God in human flesh. And Jesus isn't angry with her. Actually, in love, uh, he's, he's, he's going after her soul. It's interesting as, as he does this and shows this great love because you see Jesus moving from a natural realm to a spiritual realm. And as he does this, Again, the woman had said this to her. Jesus responds in verse 13. He said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, well, sir, give me this water that, so that I will not be thirsty nor have to come here to draw. And again, that's between a mile and two miles round trip that she would have made her trip. I mean, that, that, that's a big deal. 
And, and so sure, I, I would love to take that. And so Jesus does something in verse 16 that you and I cannot do in evangelism, just so you know. In other words, he says to her, go call your husband and come here. Then go get your husband and uh, bring him here. Now this is masterful because there's a problem here. And Jesus is, he, he knows her without her knowing him. I mean, they've never, in a sense, physically met. And, 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 and maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. But I will tell you something. He knows you. I mean, he, he's got your number. I mean, he knows everything about you. I mean, he knows you. But he, he says, go get your husband and bring him here. And the woman's response, she says, um, uh, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you, are, what you have said is true. I guess you've spoke some, some, spoken some truth. Now you can imagine, you know what he didn't do? He didn't say, woman, you know what you are? He, he, did, not, he did not condemn her like that. She's already, in a sense, condemned in her own sin, but he's exposing her sin, and yet this is, this is what needs to happen because if she doesn't see her sinfulness, she won't have a need for the Savior. She needs to realize she needs Messiah, and yet as Jesus is exposing her, you could imagine the, the sense of feeling. I mean, maybe some of you in this, this room have experienced a divorce before and, and the pain and the hurt. And then to think, you know, maybe her, her marriage went, let's just say, two years at least, you know, and then another divorce, and, and then maybe another two years, and then another divorce. And I mean, she's gone, she's gone 10 years at least, we're saying, with, with these divorces. I mean, think about all of the pain and all of the hurt she's experiencing, and now Jesus exposes her, and she's probably, forget about the commitment. I mean, it doesn't even work. And so she's just shacking up. So she's just living in, Open adultery, you could say, immorality. Jesus exposes her this way. You've had five, and the one you're now living with is not your husband. Now, how do you think she feels? In one sense, I don't think she feels condemned by him, but she feels dirty. She feels exposed. Um, there are some serious needs happening here. And then in that, it's amazing. The woman is shocked, though, too, that he knows this about her. And in verse 9, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And I'm like, well, yeah, you perceive correctly. I mean, he is the prophet of prophets. She said, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now, maybe what's going on there? It may, it may be it's this it's a smokescreen. I don't know if you ever shared the gospel with anybody. You're trying to talk to people about the Lord. And what I find is sometimes people, you know, throw smoke screens out a little bit. You know, they're, they're trying to dodge something. They're feeling a little guilty, maybe, or feeling convicted. And, and they might change the subject, like, uh, you know, who, who built that ark thing? You know, was it Moses or Noah? I mean, what was that guy's name again? And you're thinking, where did that come from in this gospel conversation? Maybe that. Or maybe she's asking, where do I go for the answer? I mean, you Jews say Jerusalem is the place, but, but we here would say it's in Samaria. 
Where do I go? And Jesus actually says to her in verse 21, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. And that is true. Messiah would, become, would come through the Jewish line. All of the prophecies that show you his, the virgin birth of Christ had to be fully God and fully man. And yet, to think about that for a minute, I mean, if he was just human only from, from Joseph and Mary, the truth is, is we would, we would, we'd be in trouble because he would be born a sinner. But no, he's the sinless son of God. He is fully God and fully, fully man. Now, when you think about that too, here he is eternal. And so we need the eternal sacrifice that could, that could help the human, yet it needed to be fully human. So we need the eternal human sacrifice. And who's that? That's Christ. That's Messiah. I mean, all the prophecies point to him. And yet in this, it's interesting because, because as she's saying this, you know, he, he, he tell, goes on to keep, he, he keeps speaking. He says, you know, but the hour is coming. And, and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And then the woman said to him, well, I know Messiah is coming, uh, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. So now in traveling, I, I travel, I told you, you know, before, and this is what we, I do for a living. And honestly, normally my family is always with me, and so that's a blessing. I got, again, the five kids, I got a, four boys in a row, then a little girl. And uh, so 17 down to seven, and uh, that's where my kids are. Um, in traveling, though, occasionally I'll, I'll be going to different places without the family, kind of like as I'm doing now. And in doing that, it's, I remember at one point being from Detroit, Michigan, and I'm flying back home to South Carolina. That's where I'm originally from. So as I'm making my way to South Carolina um, for another preaching engagement, I, I, I'm sitting beside a guy, and as I'm talking to this guy, it, is, it was kind of neat because he's telling me about his life, but it was evident he did not know Christ. I mean, he, he just did just what he said, how he said it. His worldview was all coming out as he's speaking, and so it was just kind of evident. I'm listening to him, and, and, and actually, you know, he had gone to college, and went, had, had beyond college, and we kind of talked about some of that, and, and then went, not just, not just that, but he served in the military, and I said, hey, thanks for serving our country, and just kind of had a conversation like that. And then after a little while, maybe 30 minutes, 40 minutes of just talking about his life, he looks at me, and he says, so, Jeremy, what do you do? And I said, well, um, I'm an evangelist. I'm, I'm like what a, maybe like a traveling pastor. I said, I, we focus in on the gospel and share the good news. And, and, and at that point, he, he looks at me and he rolls his eyes and he goes, oh. He said, out of all places, I sit on a plane, I sit beside a preacher. <laughs> uh, I didn't take offense by that, uh, but he, he kept on talking. <clears throat> he goes, he says, listen, I'm not trying to be mean or anything, um, but you know you can't trust the Bible. I mean, I know you do this for a living, but you know you can't trust it, it was written by man. And, and he didn't even give me an opportunity even to say anything. He just kept on going, you know. He says, and, and for instance, he says, uh, um, you know, Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. I mean, other people thought he made the claim, but he actually never made the claim. Now, I know you know that, but I just, I hate to kind of burst your bubble, he's kind of saying to me. And I said, oh. Um, I said, hold on a second, and I pulled out a Bible, and I took him to this passage. I actually 
just kind of did the same thing, a little running commentary as I went through the passage. And as I got to this, to that part there where the woman in verse 25 says, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah is coming, he, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. So I, and after kind of working through that passage to that point, I said, do you mind reading the next verse? And he goes, oh no, not at all. And he looks down and he said this, he reads verse 26. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And then he goes. He said, I guess he did make the claim. And I said, yes, he did. I said, not only did he make the claim, but, but the truth is he uses this Greek phrase, ego me. I mean, the idea is the I am. I mean, this is, this is clearly Jehovah God in human flesh. This is Messiah here. But that's not my message, which some of you are really nervous, okay, right now. You're like, this is gonna be a long one, Jeremy. All right, go further, watch this, though. This is where it really kind of opens up. If you notice verse 27, it says, just then his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman then left her water jar and went her way into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that ever I did. Could this, can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and they were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were, were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Um, for he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And then Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. If you're kind of taking notes, I'll maybe entitle this message, White into Harvest, or maybe I would even entitle, entitle it, Do We Get It? Let's pray and ask God's help, okay? Father, I thank you again for my friends here. I know it's a quick uh, opportunity to be here. And I pray that you would use this message to stir your people, that you would bring lost to yourself, that you would draw them to you like the woman at the well was drawn to you and many other Samaritans, that you would save them. But Lord, for many in this room who have been born from God, I ask, would you please stir the, them? Will you work in our hearts, Lord, to, to draw us closer to you, that we would accomplish the work that you've called us to do? So God, as the days are approaching, even more stir our hearts. Lord, may we see the fields that are white into harvest. Lord, empower me, please, now. Fill me with your spirit. Use me. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. I want to get right into the point. Point number one is simply this. They didn't get it. Do you know who I'm talking about at this point in time? It's the disciples. The followers of Christ at this point in the ministry, they didn't get it. Now watch this. And as you look at the, as they finish, Jesus is having this conversation with the woman and then verse 27 opens up by just simply saying, just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with the woman. Now again, at that very moment, consider this. If they would have come back any earlier in the conversation, now you have these 12 plus Jesus, 13. Do you think the conversation would continue in a deep way? And I would say, no way. It would stop. There's just, she would have drawn back. But yet, if they miss the conversation, at least the end that they're coming up on, they would not learn the lesson they're getting ready to learn. In other words, Jesus is sovereign. 
He doesn't make mistakes. He knows what we need to learn, when we need to learn it. He never is in heaven going, oops. Um, And yet he orchestrates even the evil and the brokenness of the culture and the world for our good and for his glory. That is amazing. But as you look at this passage, again, they're marveling, which again, John is the one telling you what they're thinking. So he says, they're thinking this, they're marveling that he's talking, what is he doing talking to that woman? Like this, this is not good. Like testimony here, hello, you know. Now what's interesting about this too, do you know their culture? Because their culture was this, that a man at that time speaking to a woman in public at that time, in that area, that region, their culture, that was taboo. You didn't do it. It could look like some form of prostitution. I mean, it could look awful or evil. Even a man speaking to his own wife in public was kind of pretty, you know, you didn't quite even do that. You were careful. I mean, it's so different because we see each other and we hug, you know, fist bump, you know, I don't know, you know. I mean, it's, it's like we, we, we show, in a sense, affection towards one another and talk to each other, and it's not weird in our culture, but in their culture, that was awkward. And so what is he doing? And they're all thinking this. Why is he talking with her? And, and does he not realize this? But no one's saying anything. I wonder Why? Maybe it's because you don't teach the rabbi, he teaches you. Jesus has nothing to learn from you. We have everything to learn from him. And remember, Peter did try to teach the rabbi. Remember the one time that we know of where he, you know, Jesus said he's gonna go to Jerusalem, taking the hands of sinful men, he's gonna be crucified, he's gonna raise from the dead. He's, I mean, he's prophesying all this. Too. And then Peter pulls him aside, Jesus, don't talk like that, you know. And, <laughs> and, and then... And Jesus says to him, get thee behind me, Satan. I wasn't trying to be satanic. (laughs) I don't even play with Ouija boards. I mean, come on, you know. I mean, just like really like a shocker. But really it it was like he's trying to cause Jesus to stumble. He's trying to cause Jesus to, to sin in a sense, but not, he was, wasn't meaning to, but, but th- this is the, the idea. You don't teach the rabbi, he teaches you. So they're all thinking it, but nobody's saying it, okay? So we move on. In verse 28, so the woman then left her water jar and went her way into the town. Excuse me? Like that's the whole reason she came there I mean, th- this is a long trip, a mile to two miles that she's going round trip. Are you, and why not a closer well? There were closer wells, but, the, but we all know because of her lifestyle, the re- at this point, she's, she's not with the women normally gathering water together. She's all alone and seemingly a much further place. And so this is, again, how the Lord is meeting her, but she just leaves it. I mean, and then she goes her way back into the to city and, and she finds the people there. And as she goes and she talks with them, what does she say? She says in verse 20, 29, come, see a man who told me all that ever I did. Can this be the Christ? What, what she doesn't do is this. Hey, everybody, you won't believe who I met? I met Messiah. And they're like, uh, you're wacko, you're crazy. But she says, he told me all these things that I did. Could this be? And making it as a question, 
It's making them inquisitive too. Could, could this, well, well, let's go see. And so they're gonna make their way to Jesus. Actually, we see that in verse 30, that they went out of the town and were coming to him. And so now you move into a whole different picture because you have the disciples who are with Jesus. And, and, and it says in verse, 20, verse 31, meanwhile, his disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. And I kind of want to go like, like, good job, because you are thinking about Messiah. You're thinking about the rabbi. And why are they saying eat? Because they've eaten. Hey, Jesus, you need to eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Now, that's weird. Uh, where do you get it? Verse 33, so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? I mean, John, did you bring him anything to eat? And John's like, I, I didn't bring him anything to eat. Uh, Peter, did you bring him anything to eat? And he's like, I didn't either. Um, uh, doubting Thomas, did you? And I think Doubting Thomas said, I doubt it. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, bad joke, sorry. <laughs> they become old man jokes, I'm getting older. And um, no, but it's like, when I think about this, it's like, who brought it? And, and they're all marveling at this. Now, it's like, but wait a second, if you're not careful, Jesus is getting ready to give us an unbelievable nugget. I mean, this, is, this truth that he's getting ready to hit us with is so powerful, and if you're not careful, you glance over it, and you kind of read over it and just keep on going. But wait a second, in verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Consider what he just said. My food, like more than, more than even food to live by, my greatest desire is to do the will of God and to accomplish his work. Now to think about this for just a minute, this whole idea of doing the will of him that sent you. Notice chapter six, turn there for just a moment as you turn to chapter six and look at verse 38. In John six and verse 38, Jesus says something here. He says, for I have come down from heaven. What does that mean? He pre-existed. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Even to the point where Jesus is, is in the garden. I mean, take your Bible now for just a second and go with me to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. In John chapter 19, we, we actually read in verse 30, and I'll, and I'll back you up just a little bit to verse 28. It says, after this, that Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. And then a jar full of sour wine, you know, it, it stood there, and they put a sponge full of the sour wine on hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave it the ghost. Now, before this, though, I, I'm gonna, I want you to highlight this in a second, but watch this. When he was in that garden praying, he even gets to the point in the garden and what does he do? He's praying, dear God, if there's some other way, could you please let this cup pass from me? And it doesn't seem to be the physical suffering. Now he's gonna endure suffering and be marred, I mean, so bad that he doesn't look human. But there were many people crucified during that, during that time. He wasn't the only one. And, 
And, and so the truth is it pulls back to the very wrath of God gonna be poured out on him and he's gonna, in a sense, drink the wrath. I mean, if there's some other way, I mean, the father will turn his back on the son. The, the Trinity has been the three in one since the very beginning, perfect love, perfect joy, perfect peace. In one sense, God doesn't need you and me, but because of his great love and how he loves to display and give as a giver, he 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 he. he goes after people to now give them and love them and that you can experience that same unity and joy and love that he would experience. That's, that's pretty amazing. But as you, as you look at this, it's like here he is in that, and then he prays, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You could say it this way. Jesus was driven to do God's will. That's what drove him. And I would ask this question to you. What drives you? The same. Oh, my truck. Come on, brother. Come on. My motorcycle. <laughs> like, no, like what really motivates you? Like what gets you up in the morning? Why do you live for, for each day? I mean, what, what do you, what is it, what's the purpose? I hope you don't say, well, money, you know. Because, yeah, you, you need money to live, but the truth is life's not all about money, and when you die, you don't take it with you. So there's this element of, like, what's that all about where, where we're going after all that? And yet, what did Jesus do? He was driven by the will of God. Sometimes you have, I, I, I speak to high schoolers, and I think of seniors that graduate. And I like to ask them, what next? Oh, maybe this, and maybe this, and this. Then I like to say, have you considered what does God want you to do? I mean, that should be the first thing, actually. I mean, we, really, what drives you? It, it should be the very will of God, but not just the will of God, as he says in John 4, but he also speaks of that very work of God. And this is the whole point. What is the work? As you watch this go on and, and you see Jesus' life, you come to the conclusion where he comes and says, it's finished, that it's paid in full. The work is done. The work he's talking about is this redemptive work and this, this idea of even reaching people and yet he was, he was going to, to bear the sins of many. Uh, just because Jesus died on the cross doesn't mean everyone's going to heaven. I, I just had a conversation with a lady who just thought everyone's gonna go to heaven because Jesus died and rose from the dead. No, but he calls you to repent and if you don't repent, you will perish why would he say that if everyone was going to heaven? And when, when you begin to realize that here is Jesus and, and he's demonstrating this work that he's doing as he's ministering the gospel. And, and in one sense, you could say this, the disciples at this moment did not get it. They had only one thing really on their mind. And what was that? It was to get something to eat. And with souls ready to be saved, they didn't get it. They, they lost the, in the big picture, in light of the moment, they, they lost their, the, their focus on what they should be going after and what they should be doing. God's will, God's work. And I'm looking at some and just saying, well, what about you? I mean, out of all times in history, I mean, as we are culminating to, towards the end, I mean, and you have the answer. It's like we should be driven by the very will of God. I want to do whatever God wants me to do, and I want to do the very work of God, what he's called us to do, and that the idea of that redemption work of reaching people with the gospel, you see Jesus at work here. Go back to John chapter four. 
As we go back and we, we see this idea of this work, I will tell you what's amazing about this is that if you hang out with Jesus, he'll help you get it. You walk with Jesus, he'll help you get it. And I look at them, at this point, they didn't get it. Now we'll look at verse 35. And then he said to them, you say that there is yet four months, there are four months, and then comes the harvest. And now look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and, and, and look there, see that the fields are white for harvest. Now if you're with Jesus and, and he says to you, listen, I'm telling you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields because they're white to harvest. What do you think you would do? Well, you would probably lift up your eyes and you would look on the fields, okay? And that's where they were. And Jesus was teaching and using illustration consistently, okay? As he's doing this, and they would have lifted up their eyes and looked on the fields, the truth is, at that season, the fields were not widened to harvest. This is what's amazing about the book of John. You, you, can kind, you can really find timeline in John because they keep going to the different feasts, and depending on the feasts they're going to and when they're coming from, it gives you the timeline. And at this point, when they would have lifted up their eyes and looked on the fields, they wouldn't have been widened to harvest. They, they would have been a greenish color which again would have been odd because again, they would work their way up to that golden brown and then the puffy look and then they would say white into harvest. And, and so lift up your eyes and look on the fields, they're white into harvest. And so sure enough, you lift up your eyes and you look over there and go, no, they're not. Now, obviously we all know he wasn't talking about the wheat. He wasn't saying, hey, everybody, come on, we gotta get some wheat, woo. You know, that's the, we know that, okay. But what was he doing then? The truth is, is remember the story. Remember what's happening in this true story. The women, the woman told the people, and what are they, they're making their way back. It's gonna take a while, but while all this is going on, they're making their way now through the fields to Jesus. And, and think about the perfect timing of this. Lift up your eyes, look on the fields. No, they're not. Oh, the Samaritans. You know, interesting that the Samaritans during that day and age, traditional garb would have been a head covering, actually a white head covering even. Which whether white head covering or not, the whole point is this, he's talking clearly about the Samaritans. And, the, and then you see the disciples, what are they doing? They're seeing it. It's like their eyes are being opened to this. And that's really point number two. Point number one was they didn't get it. But point number two is they didn't see it either. And Jesus is helping them see it. Lift up your eyes. Look on the fields. They're white in the harvest. Oh, he's talking about the Samaritans. And what's, what's amazing about this is so often we have blinders on. We don't see it. I would ask you this question. How many of you have immediate family members, maybe a mom or dad or brother or sister who don't know Christ? Anyone have that? Okay. How many of you have extended family, cousins, aunts, uncles, grandparents, people like that, that maybe don't know Christ? Would you raise your hand? Okay. What about this? Do you, do you, do you live in the community? Now, some of you live in the out country maybe in a sense, but, but, but do you have any neighbors who are without Christ? It's amazing to me to think you go to school or you go to your workplace and, and there are people all around us. Remember years ago in, in uh, studying for the ministry at one point being in these chapels and this, this, this guy would say this, he would say the most sobering reality in the world today is this and everyone would re repeat that people are dying and going to hell today. 
It was a refocus. There are people around us, and yet what are we gonna do? And I remember at age 17, God breaks my heart. I'm starting to walk with the Lord and having just kind of a personal time where I'm reading the Bible and God's working in my life. And, and then I had this friend who, who, who says to me, he says, he says hey, um, hey, Jeremy, God's convicted me and working in my heart. I feel like we never share the gospel. And I said, that's, that's what God's doing in my, in my heart too. And so we said, well, here we were seniors in high school. We said, well, let's do something about it. We didn't know what to do, but we said, let's go do something about it. And so we decided to go to our downtown area. Now, I told you I'm from South Carolina. I'm actually from Greenville, South Carolina too. Greenville, South Carolina, sometimes people call that, you know, the Bible Belt, or maybe you even saw like the buckle on the Bible Belt. Literally, there are, there are almost churches on every corner. I mean, there is a lot of churches, okay? Now, this is a Bible area too, okay? But it's just, you know. And so I, I remember going downtown, and we were so scared, me and my friend, and I thought, you know, when we went down that day that today I'm going to be a martyr. Seriously, someone's going to kill me for my faith. You know, I mean, I really, I was really nervous. And, um, and so we're praying, Lord, help us. We don't even know what we're doing. We're really scared, and we want to tell people about Jesus. But So we get out, and we start talking to people. And again, we, you know, this is one guy walks my way, and he's kind of a big guy. And I said, hey, uh, we're telling people about Jesus. Uh, are you interested? <laughs> great approach, Jeremy, you know, and, um, and the guy actually says, uh, sure, and I'm like, <laughs> really, and yeah, and I'm like, oh, well, let's go sit over here, so we kind of sat down on this kind of park, but it's like a Thursday afternoon, cars kind of driving by, and I'm like, you know, what do I do now, what do I do? oh yeah, my Bible, and I like pull out my Bible, and I had like a little New Testament, you know, and, I, and on the, in the back, I, I had written out on that little white piece of paper that kind of holds the, the binding together, I, I wrote out the Romans road, you know, verses in Romans that, that kind of show people uh, of Christ, and so I'm like, okay, a Romans 3:23, and I was so nervous. I said, "Can you read it?" You know, and he's like, he's like, "Sure," which I didn't realize that that's actually a good thing to let them read it. But anyway, he he's reading this, and he reads that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we start talking about sin. And I start asking, like, "Have you ever sinned, or what what are sins that you've done?" And then where does God live? Well, in all of his glory, he lives in heaven. And, and so we don't attain, we can't meet up to his standard, you know. And, and in one sense, I'm doing a better job now explaining this than I did then. And I'm like fumbling over things. But it, it seemed evident that he understood he was a sinner. And, and so at this point, too, I said, okay, well, um, hold on. Romans 6, 23. Can you read that? And he reads that the, that the payment of sin is death. And as he reads that, he stops and goes, well, that's not good. So, well, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, not just that you're gonna die, but it's this, you know, separation. And, and you wouldn't be in heaven, it would be, it would be in hell. And um, then he continues to read, but the gift of God is eternal life. And how do you get it? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. As he reads, I ask, do you, do you know much about Jesus? He says, well, a little bit. And, and honestly, I started kind of walking through like the, the, the birth of Christ, the life of Christ, you know, his miracles, his ministry, and, just kind of t- and then yet his, his, his death and his burial and then resurrection. We kind of just kind of, kind of walked through some of that. And, 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 and then it's like, okay, well, Romans 5, 8, okay. But, but God, he demonstrates his love for us even though we were still sinners. Christ died for us. It's amazing love. Literally, it's like he's, he is providing salvation to his enemy. 
And so this guy reads this, and we're talking about Christ, and we get to the point where I take him to Romans 10, you know, and in verse, verse 13, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. Well, what does that mean? Well, verse 9 explains it, that you would confess with your mouth that literally he is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. It's not just a head knowledge. It's, it's sinking into the heart, into the life, and, and you're crying out to him to be rescued because you, you see your need. You need Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, as your King. And you know what? I mean, here, again, I'm, I'm explaining it far better now. The guy's re- reading this stuff, and and, and, and he gets to the point and he reads this and he said, I've never done that, but I need to. So I go, well, um, if God's working in your heart, I, I mean, you, you could cry out to him now. I mean, if, and he looks around and he goes, right here? And he looks at the scripture and it seemed like an awfully long time. And he goes, I need to. And he just began to cry out to the Lord. He didn't want his sin. He wanted the Savior. He saw his need. He, he, he trusted in Christ. It seems, as much as I know, he, I think he came to Christ. I mean, can I tell you? I mean, I was so excited. I'm like, ah, you know, like, you know. And, and I remember thinking, you know, we, we left that day. And I'm like, oh, it's like, you know, first time down and someone gets saved. Like one for one. That's like 100%. Like, like this is awesome. You know, it must always be like that. <laughs> And I'm realizing it's not, and, but it, it, it was amazing. We would go, and there were times where, I, I, I mean, there were times where we really, do you feel like going today? And no, not really. Do you feel like going? I was like, no, but, but we committed to, let's do it. Let's go anyway. And we'd say, God, forgive us. We don't even feel like, but we, we really do. We want to do it, and we want to share the gospel. And literally, you gave us five minutes, and many times we'd be there for well over an hour just talking to people about the Lord, and we would leave after that hour or more, and we would say sometimes, like, can you believe it? We almost didn't go and all the seeds planted and the things that were going on. It's amazing what God does. And it was firing our souls up. I mean, here it was. It was, it was and we, you know, I would see people now. I would, I'd go to like a mall instead of just kind of seeing, you know, go get my stuff and leave or whatever. I would see all these people. And my first thought was, I wonder how many of these people are dying and going to hell. There's a kid riding a bike, you know, driving my car. And I, and I, and I think, I wonder if that kid knows Christ. It's like God's just opened up my eyes and, and pull off the blinders. There are people all around us that, that need Christ to the point where it's just so stirring me, even to the ministry's sake, where I'm like, I never would have thought, but it's like God was just stirring. Well, I mean, can I do other things? Yes, but people are dying and going to hell. What, wait a second, we need to share the gospel. Yes. Amen. And I, I'll tell you this, is sometimes we don't see it, but if you hang out with Jesus, he'll help you see it. So you know they didn't do it, they didn't get it, they didn't see it, and number three is they didn't do it, they, that's just where they were, they just didn't. So as you, as you look at this idea here, then you, you, you have this 30, verse 36, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. He starts to bring in spiritual things. Actually, verse 35, dealing with the idea of the, you know, he says, here's a saying like within the culture. It seems like a cultural saying. He says, there are, there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. And then look, I tell you, I mean, look from your eyes, look at the field. I mean, he, he's telling you this because culturally, some would say that. I remember being actually in Wisconsin last summer. I was speaking with a, with a week and doing a conference with a church in Wisconsin. And I remember hearing this, someone tell me that about, you know, the, about the cr- crops out there. And they said, yeah, knee high till the four, you know, by the 4th of July. And I'm like, what's that all about? You know, they're teaching me. I'm just not a farmer. 
But I think about this saying, and he's saying, look at your eyes and lift at this. And then as he's telling them about this, he's telling them about doing this. And then the ones who, who is reaped is receiving wages. If you actually labor for the harvest field, you're actually rewarded for the labors. You gather fruit to life eternal. There's eternal reward. That the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. And that saying is true, that one sows and another reaps. Like this is, like, this is exciting because I tell people, listen, I'm not your pastor but I'm co-laboring with your pastor today and with you. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm striving to, to, to challenge you when it comes to ministering the gospel. But if someone comes to Christ and I'm not the one who leads them to Christ, you know, I don't get mad. I don't go like, oh, you, you stole my crown or something. You know, I've, I've heard weird things through the years and like, it's was weird. No, we rejoice together when anyone comes to Christ. And you, you consider this, and, and he's encouraging this. And remember, sometimes we plant. Sometimes we're watering. And then sometimes we're there, and God gives the increase. And it's, I mean, but, but yet we're all part of this. And, and so you have to, and I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you something as an evangelist, okay? <clears throat> I can't save anyone. Some of you are like, well, you're like a loser evangelist. Being a pastor, Phil, why'd you bring him? But I would say you can't either. I mean, if you save them, they're in big trouble. <laughs> Jesus saves. And we point people to Christ. And yet he says all of this to encourage them. And then verse 38, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored. And you have entered into their labor. In one sense, that is a very scathing, but it's all out of the very love of Christ. Listen, I'm, I'm sending you to reap, and you've actually put forth absolutely no effort. Other people have. Who has? Well, in this story, we, we know that, that obviously the woman said, I know that Messiah is, comes, and when he comes, he'll, he'll tell us all things. Well, how would she know that unless someone somehow labored? Yet not only is other people, but Jesus. I mean, he, he was missing a meal on purpose for the sake of her soul, and Jesus was, was so hungry, 15 to 20 miles? I mean, on foot? Are you kidding me? That, you are hungry, and you are thirsty, and he's, he's missing this on purpose, a meal, you could say, for the sake of her soul. Others have labored, but here's the encouragement. I, I will have you enter into their labor. I'm gonna let you join in. Isn't, isn't Jesus kind? <laughs> and notice this, verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that ever I did. Can I, can, can I encourage you? You might say, Pastor Jeremy, I, I don't know how to really share the gospel. I actually had a kid just tell me this like two days ago, okay, you know, and, and, um, in this camp. And he said, hey, I don't know how to share the gospel with my friend. And I said, well, one of the easiest ways is this, to actually just tell them your testimony. Tell them how you came to Christ. Tell them how, of your sinfulness and what, how Jesus saved you from your sin. It's a simple way. Tell them your story. And so people came to Christ because of the woman's story. 
Verse 40, so when the Samaritan came, came to him, the Samaritans, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Now, that wasn't part of their, what are you, what are you doing? Okay, I mean, think about their, their whole idea. What is he doing talking to this woman? You know, and then it's like, oh, you know, and, and then it's like, um, you know, what do you, what do you mean? Um, the, har- oh, the harvest, look at the fields. They're, they're not white. Oh, the Samaritans. Okay, well, let's just get our food and get out of town. I mean, they've gotten their food, and they're leaving. You know, that was their whole point. I mean, if we're here, might as well get some food and get out of town. I mean, typical male. (laughs) But the truth is, at this point, it's like they're not, even there, they're not willing to probably stay, but the Samaritan says, could you stay longer? And he stays there for two days. Now, how many of you have ever taken a mission trip before in your life? You ever taken a mission trip somewhere, okay? Can I encourage you? Don't save your money and go to Disney. Go go to a mission field. It's it's eye-opening. It stirs you. it, It affects you. And some of, some of you, you know, you know what it's like as you go and you minister somewhere and you might not have a major burden initially, but as you work with people there, wherever you work, your heart was, was taken up there. And it's amazing what God was doing and what he's doing here because the disciples are beginning to have this heartbeat for the Samaritans in a real way. And as it says this, they stay there for two days, verse 41, and many more believe. Why? Because of his word. And, and it's like, here's the very word of God, verse 42, and they said to the woman, it is no longer because of, because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Right. I mean, the disciples didn't have it even then. They're thinking he's the Savior of the Jews. No, he's a Savior of the world. And I look at this, and I'm just thinking, did they get it? Remember, we do have the historical book of, of the Bible, of the New Testament, of the church. You know that, don't you? That's the book of Acts. And remember in Acts chapter one, verse eight, it gives you, I mean, but you're gonna receive power. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you're gonna be witnesses unto me. Remember what he says, in Jerusalem and then where? Judea and then where? Samaria and then where? The world. Like, did they get it? Yes. I mean, we, we have the rest of the story. They got it. They saw it, and praise God, they did it. Now, what about you? And I think the whole point is, as we walk with Christ, we can't get away from the fact that he loves souls. And if we have a heartbeat like Christ and we walk with Christ, we're gonna go after people. And can I tell you, this season right now, is an amazing season to reach people. People are being saved. God is at work. And I think as we're coming to the end, it's gonna, it is hard, isn't it? You labor sometimes and you're working. And you're, uh, but in the end, I look at all this and go, this is, this is just the, the mighty work of Almighty God. And yet he's gonna allow you to join in with his labor. So the harvest, it is white. Let's, let's get out there. Let's, let's, let's go reach people by God's grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for my friends, and as we've just looked into this passage, I pray, God, that this passage would, would truly do that work and look into us, that we would respond to this. Lord, so often we as believers get so distracted, we lose the focus on, on what the main thing is, and yet you've called us to, to reach people with the gospel. You've ordained it how that you use people to reach people and how will they hear without someone preaching to them? 
God, would you help us, please? Lord, so often we're, we're afraid. We don't know what to say sometimes. But God, would you give us the words to say, and even as we stumble and, and flub, in a sense, over the gospel, and we seek to just share the good news with people, Lord, may we pray for souls. May we plead for those souls of mankind. God, would you, would you use the believers in this room? And Lord, I pray for some in this room who may not know you, I mean, statistics would tell us there would be many in this room who would be lost. Maybe a, maybe a lost kid or a teenager or an adult. And God, I pray that even today that they would not leave here without talking to someone. If you stirred their heart, they would humble themselves just like that man did and cried out to you. I pray, God, that they would do that now. They wouldn't wait for some other time, I mean, the best place, the best time right here, why not cry out to the Lord? Why not repent of your sins and trust in him? God, please, I ask, would you do that work in the hearts and lives of souls? Thank you, God, for your kindness. With this time, I'm gonna have pastor come up here, Brother Phil, and he's gonna, he's gonna close us out, but this is a perfect time in your heart. Do business with God. Would you do that right now? Talk to God. Cry out to him. Ask him, God, forgive me for, for being so self-focused, self-centered, maybe not even doing sinful things, but just distracted. God, refocus me. God, use me. May God help you. Amen. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Can you just, let's just stand together. And here's how we're going to end this today. The message is clear, right? for all of us, for anybody in the room here, if you're a believer and you know the Lord Jesus Christ, the message is clear. And the question is clear, are we going to do the will of our Father and the will of the Lord Jesus Christ and we're going to go out and share? I'm convicted about that today. Um, I need to have that fire constantly relit in my life and reminded to go out and share because people all around me don't know the Lord. But the message is also clear for some of you who don't know the Lord. Those of you who might be visiting with us online and you realize today you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never had a relationship with him. You never confessed your sin like we heard testimony of in the baptismal tank today. And you want to be saved. Um, I just want to say this. The Bible says if you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart. And we're here for you. If you're online, you can reach out to us right now and reach out to one of our prayer team members and they will help you. But we have prayer team members going to be down here. I'm going to be down here. Jeremy's going to be down here for a little while. He's got to catch a plane and get out of here uh, and go do some more of this ministry. But um, we would love to share with you how you can come to know Jesus. If, if that's on your heart today and God's calling your name, just come forward and let us work with you on that. All right? If you're online, reach out to us so we can do that. God bless you, my friends. Um, thank you, Jeremy. And God bless you. We're going to be praying for you. Um, in fact, can, you want to pray for him right now? Come on up here. Let's pray for you right now as you go. Um, and then let's just go out and do what God has asked us to do, okay? But, Lord, I just pray for Jeremy right now. I thank you for the work that he did in, in our midst here and how you've used him today. I know he's tired. And he's got to be up for a whole week of camp next week in Iowa. I just pray that you'll strengthen him 
and that your spirit will inspire his heart and his mind and strengthen his body and and use him powerfully and that many young people and even counselors and camp directors might give their heart to the Lord and be changed because of the word coming straight from our brother. We pray your blessing over him in every way. And I pray your blessing over my brothers and sisters here in the room. Use us, Lord, to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, friends. Let's go change the world with the gospel, okay? Thank you so much for joining us for this morning's online service. Our hope is that it ministered to your heart deeply, and we pray that it inspires you to love God, love people, and influence our world with the gospel of Christ. If you made a spiritual decision today, or you'd like prayer in your life, we'd invite you to fill out an online connection card by clicking on the link. If you haven't downloaded our church app yet, now's a great time. It has tons of resources and opportunities that you can take advantage of. Finally, you can check out our website, fbclcart.org, to stay connected with us. We hope you have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you right back here next week, same time.